Artist presents The Fight. Episode 4, The Fight Build-Up. This episode is dedicated to Putin, a.k.a. Funfun, a.k.a. Funknotic, a.k.a. Eyes Soldier, a.k.a. Jamesia Jackson. Rest in peace. They give me the microphone. Mm-hmm. The club owner, he went like to his office or something. Okay. When I get on stage, I get ready to start performing the show. They start playing no more playing GA. I just see a door swing over. This is the <laughs> club owner. <laughs> <laughs> that man came and unplugged all that shit. He unplugged all the speakers, everything. We ain't doing that tonight. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. He got him through the door. He paid you. Get around. He's like, not that song, man. This song, but that song. Hey, he said, hey, he, when he got out there to the stage, he had unplugged the DJ speaker and stuff. That man, that's your song? <laughs> that record is no more playing GA. That record is one of the many anthems that made up the crunk era. That voice you heard, that's the legendary Pastor Troy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I speak to P? Now, he might not be the king of crunk, because everybody knows that's Lil John, but he is one of the pioneers of the genre. You might not know Pastor Troy's name, but we guarantee you, you know his songs. Dan Quinn, head coach of the Atlanta Falcons and former assistant to South Carolina head coach Will Muschamp, knows exactly who Pastor Troy is. Lil Scrappy had one of the undisputable classics. He had a song called Headbuster, where the refrain goes, We some headbusters. We some headbusters. We'll knock your ass out. We some headbusters. Song even had a dance. Want to learn how to do it? Take your dominant hand, make a fist, take your off hand, make it flat, put both hands above your head, and punch your hand. It should sound something like this. That's it. That's the dance. You even get bonus points if you could do it on beat. But why was the concert promoter scared of that song? Well, because usually when No More Playing GA came on, it was time to fight. It wasn't ever supposed to be the last song of the night, but often it was. If you've been listening to the past episodes, you may notice that Josh is not narrating this episode. This is Langston and Preston, and we're going to take you inside the music of the day and talk about how it set the stage for the build-up for the fight. We'll let you know right now, this episode has adult language in it. This is The Fight. (laughs) 
So listen, fighting was not out the norm for anyone wearing Gamecock or Clemson uniforms. It's just like when, you know, back in the day where, 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 where the, the, the club, like the nightlife environment was totally different. You know, you mm-hmm. look, you looking at a crew, crew looking at you, and, mm-hmm. and the way the music was, everybody's just bouncing around, doing like shoving, and then okay. just, you know, it turns into that brawl. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of just how that game was. It, it's, okay, you, we looking at you, you looking at us, let's bounce around a little bit, and then, then there's the brawl. You know, being a part of a team or stuff like that, that stuff that went on often. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, to, to be, you know, just, just be 100, that stuff that went on often. You know, you, I know y'all got down with locals in Columbia. I'm sure because we did all the time in, in Clemson area. So, you know how it go. Absolutely. You go to a party whatever, somebody get the hating because you pulling all their girls or whatever. So, it, it was bound to go down. So, that was nothing new. It just so happened it happened on the football field. So, fighting was nothing new. That I mean, that was just, that happened a lot. Right, that happened. Some was, some was going, yeah, with teammates. Some was going to pop off. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, you, I'm just, I'm sure like y'all did, we had them individuals that they was going to set a party off. You know what I'm saying? If you was trying, if you was trying to go ahead and get you a number or so, you better get it before they got there because you was going to fight. <laughs> that was nothing new. It just so happened that it went down on the football field. But make no mistake, though, this fighting happens all the time. It happens at frat parties. It happens in bars. It happens on the street. Sometimes it happens in classes. Sometimes fighting even happens between teammates. Uh, several times, even at practice. I mean, the week before we played Florida, the offense and the defense was brawling against each other at practice. So, you know, it's just, it's in the game, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, this is something, we, again, this is something that we're hearing. This idea of like you know the offense and the defensive brawl. How did that? How did that happen in a practice? Um, it's the competition, man. It's the competition. Everybody want to be a winner, and if you want to be a winner, that means you want to win every play. And of course, when somebody's beating you on a play, or you feel like you can do better on a play, sometimes the energy go a little bit further than it should. It go a little bit longer than the whistle. Think about it. and can't we hit each other all day long, over right. and over, in practice, over and over. Of right. course, eventually, you know. It's, we're brothers. We're going to get into a fight. Then right. parents got to break us up. Right, right, right. But it was nothing that, yo, we fighting and we not talking to each other. We transferring schools or nothing. Right. It wasn't nothing like that. These fights weren't just at South Carolina, though. Fighting was part of football culture. Here are several Clemson players talking about the fights that they had at practice. Yeah, yeah it wasn't out of norm. So, you know, and everybody, you know, be around, make sure nothing, make sure defense or offense can jump in because, you know, it was defense versus offense going practice. And defense, was going, and defense was going to ride with defense, and offense was going to ride with offense. And, you know, it'd be times where something happened, or see you might be getting bullied or whatever, Coach Sweet would be jumping in his grits or whatever. Like, man, I'm letting them do that to you. You know what I'm saying? Y'all better not let it happen either. So we was going to be there for each other. You know, in a strange way, Crunk was sort of progressive. Yes, there was a lot of violence, but women weren't excluded from it. Crime Mob had women's empowerment anthem, Stilettos, which was an equal opportunity for women to get crunk and fight if that was in the cards. They also had deep cuts like, I'll beat your ass.
But the song that has the longest legacy and is almost omnipresent in SEC football is Nuck If You Buck. It's featured two teenage women from Atlanta, Diamond and Princess. And if you are in any stadium in America, we guarantee you hear this song during timeouts, during third downs, during breaks in the game. It's a staple in football stadiums around the country. In fact, they play it every week during pregame at Williams Bryce Stadium here in Columbia, South Carolina. Music was so important that Clemson even has an official anthem. It's called We Too Deep. Clemson, you might have heard this phrase. The Tigers adopted this anthem as part of their recruiting campaign. They say it all the time. We Too Deep 14. We Too Deep 16. We Too Deep 19. Before they were all in, they were too deep. Now you might be asking yourself, why is it so important to be too deep? That's easy. It really means it's more of us than there's of y'all. And if there's more of us and we fight, that means we will win. Again, let's just go to the YouTube comments and see what they say about this song. First off, makes me want to kill someone on the other team. It's my favorite pregame ritual, says Christine Reynolds whose avatar does not lead one to believe that this is be the music of her choice. Thanks to this song, my opponent in football is in the hospital. Random innocent human was his sign off. This is fucking epic, says Miss NASCAR fan, which is really interesting because we'll come back to that later. This will forever give me goosebumps, says Mark Campo. We played this in the locker room before our homecoming game, says Zach Denton. You get the point. People love this music. But in our opinion, the ultimate crunk anthem is Throw It Up by Lil Jon featuring Pastor Troy. Just listen. Before the song even starts, Lil Jon basically shouts out the ACC and the SEC. Can you hear your state? Check it out on YouTube. Check out some of the comment sections. There's comments like, if you ever disliked this song, you probably got beat up in the early 2000s. There's other gems like, the new generation would never understand how shit went down in the early 2000s. Not to be followed by, there was a time if you played this in the club, fights instantly broke out. I thought Lil Jon and Pastor Troy was banned from club music. 
Man, whatever time, didn't matter. Anytime, anywhere, that time is a fight song. Somebody else chimed in. We played this song before every high school football game. I remember the stare downs. Tough guys. But why does this song work? It works because it's a simple call and response. It's just a series of chants. There's no intricate lyrics. There's not a lot of harmonies. There's only energy and opportunity. It really digs down into the primary reasons why we love and play football. It's dangerous. It's energetic. It's alive. It's risky. You know, just being in them locker rooms, man, you know, a lot of my music had gotten to y'all boy system. High school and Lulu, you feel me, man? Y'all was already on it. Mm-hmm. So then when they get to college, it was just something common. It gave camaraderie to the team already. You know what I mean? Well, they didn't even know yes. each other. They knew this yeah. song by Pastor Troy. They gave them something to unite with, man. So oh, I man. appreciate it, man. Young ass niggas, I guess we filthy rich. My whole clique ready to bust some heads. I'ma throw it up, bitch, and I ain't scared. Pastor Troy, motherfucker, you know the routine. Represent for the home team. At a certain point, a bunch of men can stop becoming a group, and they become a pack. Sometimes that point is on Friday night at the bars. Sometimes it's Saturday night at the tailgate. This time it was on Saturday afternoon on Clemson's Memorial Field. Now, usually those packs are fueled by alcohol, but the packs on Saturday were fueled by more potent and dangerous substance, testosterone. Testosterone's great. It makes people take risks. It makes people go to war. It makes people stick up for their brothers. But it also might make you engage in a battle royale to defend the honor of your tribe and your brothers. But Nate Nolan State, without it, the game of football would not exist. While most fans don't like noon games, the players on the field usually love them. One, you don't have to sit around the hotel all damn day. Remember, while fans are tailgating and getting ready, the players are sitting in meetings, laying around, and it's usually pretty boring. Two, it's over early, which means if you play at noon, you'll be finished at four, you can see your family by five, and you could be out drinking and partying about six, just like a regular college student. So on this morning, everyone woke up with the buzz of the previous night's events. Players were all checking to see each other saw the fight. Now remember, this is previous to social media. So the next morning was the first opportunity to see if your teammates had saw the events that went down the night before. Usually the mornings were pretty quiet, but the energy for a 12 o'clock game is usually a little higher because this isn't just breakfast. This is the pregame meal. Now, football teams are usually made of characters. Some are serious, some are hardworking, some are captains, some are funny. And, well, Jamesia Jackson was all of that. Here's Clemson running back and low country native Yusef Kelly talking about his relationship with Jamesia Jackson. My big bro, Jamesia Jackson, you know, yep. we... Walk ball and fuck the rich scrimmage each other every year. Here's South Carolina wide receiver Matt Thomas, a.k.a. TZ, talking about what Jamesia Jackson meant to him. Just going, whenever I came on my visit to Carolina, man, I met Jamesia, man, it, it was over with. Like, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be wherever he was at. What, what was it about Jamesia Jackson? And it's funny because everybody screams out Foom Foom name. What was it about Jamesia Jackson? Man, Jamesia was, man, honestly, bro, like, 
Jamesha was the type of cat man that he was everybody's best friend, though. Correct. And if he was your friend, you were jealous of him being friends with anybody else. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, man. Because you wanted all of them. You wanted you wanted all of his attention. You wanted all of Jamesha, but he had so much to give everybody, dog. You know what I'm saying? But you wanted all of them because that's the type of person he was and the energy that he gave off and the vibe that he gave off, man. He was just a great person, bro. Jamesia Jackson was the biggest of personalities. Not only was he a heck of a ball player, but I think he might have been the funniest person that I've ever met in real life. Now, this is not an exaggeration. One day during summer conditioning, I saw Jamesia Jackson run Repetitions of 400s in penny loafers. That's right. Penny loafers. Hard bottoms. I think Jamesius actually had the penny in them also. The coaches were so mad at Jamesius because he made all his times. While the rest of us inferior athletes were struggling, gasping for win, Jamesius Jackson would make all his times and still have time to crack jokes on the coaches and the players who couldn't make their times also. It made the coaches so mad. Now on this pregame morning... Jamesy was just being himself, and it was only right that Pastor Troy was his favorite rapper. Here's Taki Muhammad talking about Jamesy Jackson that morning. One of the biggest Pastor Troy fans. Pastor so, Troy. So when, when you know, Pastor Troy do his thing, yo! It sort of kind of sound like uh, Little John when he's like, yeah! Uh-huh. But when Jamesy does it, it's like... And if anyone knows who Jamesia Jackson is, it's one of probably the one of the best dudes I know. And you right. did never one day, I don't think I've ever seen him with a frown on his face. Mm-hmm. And he was always ready to keep everybody alive. May you rest in peace. And uh Jamesia, when he came down there, he was like, Yeah, we're gonna get the more today. That was the end of it. Like, Yo. Unfortunately, Jamesia Jackson passed on April 14th of 2008. The Clemson game is different because we have to ride a bus into the stadium. Of course, when you pull up, there are people around the bus. Usually it's your parents, your girlfriend, maybe multiple girlfriends if you had them. Sometimes it's even the opposing fans. There was one time when we pulled up to LSU and I saw a fan wringing a chicken's neck. A live chicken. I think I saw that. But anyway... Most of the time when a bus pulls up, it's usually uneventful. However, this time felt a little different. A lot of my teammates talk about the way it felt when they pulled into the stadium. Now, most of the time, players use the bus ride to sleep. Remember, this was before social media, so there wasn't texting. Most players listen to music. Now, we know this is the episode about Crunk, so you would expect a lot of players to be getting themselves hyped up before they got to the stadium. But that wasn't true for everybody. Two-time Super Bowl champion Nashawn Gardner had a different selection, one that may surprise you. Man, you know what, man? I never, I love the bus ride because that's when I played Alicia Keys, man. I, used, I, I swear, I used to be so turnt, bro. Like to Alicia Keys. No, I used to be so turnt. I need Alicia to calm me down. Oh, okay, okay. You feel okay, me? Because okay. I be ready to play. I'm ready to call my calls and Mike this way and snap the ball. I'm turnt, so I need Alicia to calm me down. Some people live. For the fortune Some people live just For the fame Some people live For the power Yeah 
I used to listen to that Alicia get me right, get me smooth, balance me out. So I'm ready to play. So I really wasn't even thinking about that too much. Like that, I always listen to Alicia Keys and my favorite song is Notorious Thugs. Like I listen to that before every game. And from the bus, you go into the locker room. You go get ready. There's a lot of hurrying it up. There's a lot of waiting. A lot of listening to Discmans. Again, this is 2004. There's going to be a lot of dudes playing around. Usually it's the DBs. There's going to be some folks praying. All kinds of things are happening in the locker room pregame. One of the strangest things I remember seeing was one of my teammates whose name shall remain nameless was baby oil in his arms so that his muscles could look good on TV. But Clemson's locker room is a little bit different. See, back in the old Clemson Stadium, before the remodeling, the locker rooms used to be right next to each other, separated by a really thin wall. This is obviously going to lead to some friction. The walls are thin. The tension is thick. I remember it was small yeah. as far as, you know, how many players that we got. And mm -hmm. it, was, it was small and it's hard to even get any type of comfort in there. You don't get nothing until you leave out to go warm up or, or actually be on the field. Right. So, I mean, that's that's the only thing that I remember it being real, real small. Did you hear, were you able to like hear? Because at one time, the locker rooms used to be close. Clemson's locker room and ours. Were you and able to see, like and we did hear some stuff as far as the different talking. And you can actually say some stuff from understanding. I want to say players were saying stuff back and forth to each other, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, somebody in the locker room. Yeah, because everybody's like, those walls talk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, it was because I don't know how it is now, but it was it was small and the walls like paper pretty much. Well, we can, you know it's totally different. Uh, like yeah. you know, Coach Holtz wasn't about all that. Mm -hmm. About that hoorah. What about Clemson? Did you hear? Yeah, the, you can hear, of course. They were playing some. Yeah. Well, you yeah. remember what they were playing? I, I would I think if I'm not mistaken, I was, I knew they were playing like. Um, if y'all remember it, like like just straight up, but I know it's more like a Pastor Troy type okay. type. Uh huh. You know, yeah. Okay. You know. So like I said, the game was it was ready, man. And I don't know if you remember, but I do remember. Um, was it Bowden? I think Bowden was their head coach at the time. And I do remember he was doing their their speech. And you know their walls, are, they're visiting the locker room. Are, they're so close to the locker room, you could hear everything. So you could hear his. You, you could hear, hear the you. whole spill. Gotcha. You know, so I mean, I felt like out of respect. Lou kind of felt on set back and waited till he was done to intervene and do his speech before we go and do our, our free game. And I mean, it felt like that in the room, at least I thought so. So when they ended, it felt like there was a brief silence till Lou started speaking. And that's when they started banging on the wall. Oh, wait, wait, Dave started banging on the wall. What do you mean Dave was banging on the wall? The Clemson players in their locker room, they were, you know, the wall, like I said, the walls were thin. They, they felt like they were paper thin because you could hear everything in their locker room. So they started banging on the locker room walls, playing past Troy music, you know, getting living. But it was so it was so small and packed. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And uh, their locker room was on the other side mm -hmm. where they come out of. Mm -hmm. And 
sometimes you could hear stuff in the walls. For sure. I mean, you, you could hear you could hear what they were saying. We they couldn't hear. Yeah, it, it, it had to be. Right? It, yeah, everybody knew what was going on. Langston remembers the minutes after Rod Gardner's famous catch. First off, this game is called the push-off game for a reason. Rod Gardner, who was a supreme talented wide receiver who would be picked first round to go play for the Washington Redskins, pushed off against a future NFLer himself and Andre Goodman to set Clemson up to win the football game that day. After the game, after the infamous push-off, Rod made sure that he spoke to us through those thin walls and let everybody know in the locker room in South Carolina side that he was the cop killer that day. C.J. Fry remembers the story. Well, Rod Gardner decides to come over as we're sitting in the locker room. All of us are upset. Coach Hose is giving us after game talk. He starts beating on the locker room door. Boom, 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 boom. I'm a cop killer. Y'all not coming to my house. Boom, 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 boom. I'm a... So we get up to rush the door. Coach Hose says, no, 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 no. You sit down and you take this. And you take this experience and understand every time we come up here, this is how they act. They are bad winners. And they're bad losers, and this is what they're going to do. The hold on the extra point of that Rod Gardner push-off catch was my first boss, Jeff Scott. He's the co-offensive coordinator of the Clemson Tigers now. So you see, this thing gets all tangled up. Because they knew we got quiet just because of the fact that they, they were having their, their pregame speech. Right. You know, they knew they know how their locker room is. You know? <laughs> right. Right. You know? So the fact that they went chaotic right as soon as Lou started speaking, it's like, okay, this is ultimate disrespect. <laughs> so while Freddie talked about the Gamecocks feeling the ultimate disrespect, the Tigers would feel the same way in a few short minutes. Now both teams claim to have the best interest in college football. Of course, this is half of what college football is about. The beauty, the pageantry, the pomp, and the circumstance. All of it. The interests, the tradition, all of the nostalgia. We, at South Carolina, we have the infamous 2001. I still get cheer bumps here and now. What's really crazy is growing up, I just knew it as the Ric Flair song. You know, the nature boy. Woo! But now as an adult, it's 2001. It's the interest for the Gamecocks. It's electric. The crowd goes in a frenzy. You should look it up on YouTube right now. It's really amazing to see. But Clemson has an interest too. They call it the most exciting 25 seconds in football. They get the rubber rock and run down the hill. I look at it as if it's, we're almost modern day gladiators playing football in Death Valley. 80,000 fans, you know, screaming, you know, see all this orange out here, you're a freshman, you really don't know what to expect. You know, your first college game, man, I had chills running down my veins, man, and it was, I knew then it was a good choice to come in. The last time I ran down the hill was against Wake Forest, 2011. Standing up top, amongst all the fans, amongst my teammates, I just kind of closed my eyes to cherish this moment, because I knew it was going to be the last time. And I remember it like it was yesterday. When I finally got up there and suited up, I saw all the fans grabbing at you and slapping your hands. And, and welcome you to the rock and, and you put your hand on the rock for that first time and, and you step down the hill and start running down there it's an adrenaline rush that can't really be explained i mean i guess it's cool to run down the hill to touch a rock to have all these balloons go into the atmosphere so little penguins and whatnot get all the pollution so clemson can claim that they have the best entrance in college football oh by the way they take a bus from one side of the stadium to the other who does that at this point it's important to remember 
that South Carolina players were coming off a 63-17 loss to Clemson the previous year. Now, I say South Carolina's players because I was hurt that year, so I wasn't available to play, and so that loss doesn't count against my record. Take an ass whooping like, you know what I'm saying, like we did the year before. We weren't trying to do that again. Clemson's interest would prove to play a pivotal role in a fight. That's because in 2004, several South Carolina players on an emotional high following the previous year's embarrassment, the locker room scene we have just described, and of course, the crunk music of the day. They sprinted directly from their entrance to the bottom of Clemson's Hill to wait on the Tigers to come down. Now, this may not seem like a small thing, but in the protocol of college football, it's not. This was definitely a message. Chris Matlock, South Carolina's equipment manager, knew exactly what it meant. Meet their ass at the bottom of the hill. Go down there and get their ass. Uh, oh, hell. Uh, go, go. Hell. Hey, just go down there. Why don't you just go meet them at the hill? Hell. Oh, hell. Go get their ass. Go meet them at the hill. You going to take that disrespect? You guys should go down there and do something about it. Hey, you, gotta, you guys got to go down there and meet them at the hill. Oh, hell. Just go down there. Meet them at the hill. Hell. It, it, it's going to be a dog fight out there. These guys, if they get in your face, you better get back in their face. What are y'all waiting on? Go meet them at the hill. We went down to the hill where they run down and do their rub the rock and all that. So we, we met them down the hill and started egging them on like, yeah, let's go. But I still never forget when when challenged our kids mm -hmm. and told them to meet them at the at the at the hill. Yeah. When they run down, I I remember when they were running down the hill. Half of them, half of their players stopped, and it was an altercation mm -hmm. in the end zone right there at yeah, the you beginning. You can see that from the TV copy. You, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that. I'm yeah. going, oh, shit, here it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Clemson players got the message, too. They heard it loud and clear. Yusuf Kelly said, It was a lot of uh, trash talking. Well, you know, we have to back up first to when we was coming down the hill and y'all decide that y'all want to meet us down at the hill. All right? Absolutely. Let's, let's, not, let's not skip over that, all right? Let's get this out of the way. You know it was, it, it was y'all's fault, all right? Now, I, Preston, I was a captain for South Carolina that day, which means that I didn't get to hear pregame. I didn't hear any of the festivities going on before we went out. I was standing at the middle of the field waiting for the coin toss when I saw my rest of my teammates running to the hill. Here's Clemson's captain, Aries Curry, talking about what he saw when the players went towards the hill. I know, because when he was mad at me as a captain, he was like, you know what they're trying to, they're talking about throwing you out the game? <laughs> Whoever I guess they saw that kind of just initiated, they was talking about trying to eject from the game. But anyways. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is Preston. So one yeah. of the things, you know, I, I, I was out there for captains. I was uh, I was the captain of that game too. So we was right yeah. there, and um, so you, you ran to the, you ran back to the hill, and then Coach Sweeney was like, he was he was mad at you for for going over there. He said, yeah, you thought you was gonna get ejected. Yeah, because I guess that's what one of the referees had uh, mentioned to him. You know what I'm saying? Because I guess it was obvious. You know what I'm saying? With me leaving that, uh, you know, coin toss and running over there to this. I guess, you know, they looked at it as me, you know what I'm saying, trying to kind of be in a factor in it or whatever. So he was talking about ejecting me from the game. But, gotcha. of course, yeah, of course that didn't happen. Yeah. And, and, and at the time, Coach, coach Sweeney was your position coach. Yeah, Coach Sweeney was my position coach at the time. 
Right. So, you know what I'm saying? Because Swing, he was getting on me a little bit about it. He was, you know, he was trying to eject, eject, eject you from the games. Now, the legend has it, as many of the, my teammates say, that one of our coaches was the first person to suggest running down the hill. Now, Savell Newton said he and wide receiver Matthew Thomas led the way. He looked at me and Demetrius, and he said, what are y'all waiting on? I was like, <laughs> so he was like, you know, go meet him at the hill. Yeah. So me and, me and me, we ran out first, uh, ran straight to the hill. Uh, Clemson was standing at the top, ready to come down, and, you know, we was all just – Right there, I mean, I'm 13 and 31, flipping back. We right there, you know, in the front of it all. And um, they walked down the hill instead of running down the hill. Yeah. And that's where it started. Now, we couldn't get Coach for an interview, but Nashawn Goddard remembers it like Newton. Somehow Coach jumped in that deal. You know how he did, you know. Can I cuss on this deal? He always said, F, F technique, go kick somebody's ass. You know, that was kind of his deal. Yeah, he was just yeah. like, go kick their ass. However it happened... That moment firmly established the ground rules of the day. It's us against you. That's what the whole fight boiled down to. At its core, the players said it again and again and again. This fight was not about players being out of control. It didn't have anything to do with them being thugs. It was just the natural response. Drilled into them by hours on the practice field and in the study halls and everywhere in between. When your teammate needs you, you're there. When your teammate fights, you fight. Viewed through that lens, it's a little bit easier to see how one shoving match could spread like a pack of firecrackers, one inside and the next, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. It's kind of funny to me now when I look at it, but at the same right. time, people will say, why did you do it? And I tell them, I was like, the same thing I'm telling you, it's my family, it's my brothers. And regardless of where we are at the moment in our life, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it again. Man, you know, that's an overwhelming consensus from everybody, man. Everybody's basically like, man, look, if something that happened, I mean, obviously we wouldn't probably want it to happen again, but yeah, that's just how it went down. Exactly. Exactly. Like I said, that's just like you put, you put me in the military. The man next to me, I got to trust. The man on my left, the man on the right. The man behind me, the man in front of me. I got to trust every last one of them. They're my brother because they could, at, any, at any given time, it could be my last breath. Right. And I got, and I got to trust them because they're, they're out there with me. They're going to fight with me. So. Again, I, I just really think a lot of fans don't necessarily understand that, that aspect of the game. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of people look at us and say, well, they just ghetto. It ain't about being ghetto. It's that brotherhood. Anybody on any team would do it. Well, I would think if you don't, you don't blood shed tears with this man for four or five years or whatever, any man should do it. The word Woody Telford used was mandatory. The idea that he would see one of his teammates fighting and not join the fray literally never occurred to him. One getting in, in, in a scuffle is mandatory that everybody else get into it. We protect, one, we, we protect one another. That's that's what it is. Right. On and off the field. Right, right. And a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people have never been in a, in a brotherhood like that. They don't understand what that's like. No, nah, they won't ever understand until you until you dare and 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 and, and you you ride with each other. Everybody help you out with plays, study books. I mean, you would never understand. Taki Muhammad, who worked with the Richland County Sheriff Office while in college, 
compared the code on the football field to that of police officers in a tense environment? I know everybody, the fans are like, oh, it was so embarrassing, so embarrassing. But I tell people, it's similar to what they say about cops. And you just got to jump in and you got to help your, your brother until, and then you figure out what happens afterwards. The same mm. thing, same thing as a football player. You, that's your teammate. You, 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 you go in and you defend them and then you find out what happened later. Dondre Pinkins, who would have been the starting quarterback that day if not for an injury, is now a high school football coach and an athletic director. But he still understands the player's perspective very well. In the heat of a moment, regardless of what a coach says, if somebody does this, not to retaliate, if you see your brother going through a battle, it's natural instincts just to go hop in and be ready to take on that battle with your brother. And I think that's what happened. I don't think Clemson at that time or South Carolina at that time you know, had a team that was out that entire year just doing stupid things on the field. I think in the heat of the moment, some guys made some decisions that even today they look back on if it was the way they could have avoided it, they probably would have. But what happened, happened. And uh, both teams paid consequences in the end, not being able to play a bowl game, but it's something that'll be stuck in history forever. We hope that we set the scene for you. We hope that maybe you have a little bit of a better understanding of who a lot of the characters were on these teams, what brought them to this moment, and how we got here. In episode five, we get the story that gives this podcast its name. We get to the fight. This episode of The Fight was produced, created, and executed by athletes and artists. Major shout-out to Josh Kendler for the writing. Major shout-out to TK Fowler for sound design. And big shout-outs to Coach Aaron Myers, our chief strategist. Looking forward to seeing you next episode.